Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James. Goodly morning, goodly morning. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I knew it was a goodly morning. I thought it was verging on a, a greatly morning. But that is, I mean, that sums it all up, as they say. That's how you kick it uh, off, isn't it? That is how you kick it off. I mean, that's, uh, congratulations. When did you rustle that up? Uh, I was lying in bed this morning. I uh, went out last night for a couple of pints. I was lying in bed this morning. And all I could think of was, uh, you know, the blog and the podcast and stuff like that. And just, you know, you get a, a a tune in your head. And I don't know why, because I was thinking of Goodly Morning, obviously, for, because of the podcast. And then it was just like, Goodly Morning, Goodly Morning, oh, 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 Goodly Morning. I just thought, hey, I'll give it a try. And it turned out all right. I'm not, I'm not saying it's going to be the Christmas I mean, number one, but hey. Don't rule it out. I think it'll be popular. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Goodly Morning to you too. Goodly Morning. How is your mood? I have to say I'm, I'm feeling quite buoyant. I can't remember, I said this in the blog today, I can't remember a game that's stuck with me for quite as long as this one has. You know, you win a game, it's great, it's enjoyable, blah, blah, blah. But there was something something about this game, something about the occasion, something about, obviously, the opposition. But, I don't know, it's, it's just, it's like a warm glow oozing through my veins this morning. I don't know what other way to put it. Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, Derby Day, if you're successful, is always a bit like that. It's the kind of game where you, you can't wait to go into work mm. on Monday morning and, and shout about it. But there was something specific about this match. I think, I mean, it was a really thrilling game, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. in, in every respect, it had everything you'd want from a Derby. It had goals, it had, you know, handbags, it had a few scuffles, a bit of controversy. But I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I was at the stadium and I, I can't think of a game in recent years at any rate which had that that same kind of electricity about it it was it was astonishing really and it was fantastic to be there and to savor in it but i read your blog this morning and you said you could feel the atmosphere through the television which i think speaks for itself yeah it is it is really something when you know from miles away hundreds of miles away or thousands of miles away you can sense the atmosphere in the stadium and you know what i think was the key thing to it was you mentioned the the quality of the football and you mentioned the occasion but i think the fact that there was some handbags that there was a mm. kind of edge to the game you know there is nothing quite as unifying as hatred in some ways and i don't mean to be really negative about that but when all the arsenal fans are, are singing from the same hymn sheet, you know, which hasn't been the case 
over the last number of years, and that's always been a kind of cloud that's been over over the stadium, over the fan base for for quite a while. It, it felt very unified yesterday, and the reason it was unified was because everybody fucking hates Tottenham as a matter of course, but this yeah. particular Tottenham are especially loathsome. I went to, I was at the bar last night, was talking to the guy behind the bar and he was going, oh, fuck, football was good today, wasn't it? I'm an Everton fan, I'm feeling pretty shit about it, but I watched the Arsenal-Spurs game. I was so glad Arsenal won. He said, I fucking hate Spurs. There's players in their team, Deli Alley, uh, Dyer, Harry Kane, he said, I fucking hate them. And they're easy to hate. And that kind of gets people, you know, I know there's an element of pantomime villa- villainry and all that kind of stuff to it. I don't, you know, want to send anybody over the edge here or anything, but it, it really did bring everybody together because not only was that there in the background anyway, they behaved on the day in a way which just exacerbated it and got everybody wound up, but in a, a, a sort of a positive way. Do you hear Aubameyang afterwards said the crowd gave us power? It was amazing. Mm. Well, I mean, it was a it was a particularly potent cocktail of hate, wasn't it? Because mm. not only was there the Spurs team to contend with, but also Mike Dean, who <laughs> you know is a, a not the most popular figure among Arsenal fans, and, and didn't endear himself any further with some of his actions, particularly the the penalty award. So, you know, we used to talk about with Arsenal teams sometimes that adversity would bring out the best in them. Yeah, that when the cards were a bit stacked against them, you'd see their real resolve come to the fore. And maybe that hasn't been as true in the last few years, but yesterday that definitely felt like the case and it felt like the fans and the players were kind of united in that, uh, yeah. fighting against that adversity and fighting against those those common en- enemies. Enemies, 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 for sure. Uh, and that's 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 what it was. It was, uh, it was really something. I mean, I'm guessing, you know, from being in the stadium, it was even more exhilarating uh, just being part of that because you get caught up in the in the crescendo of noise and atmosphere and uh, it, it felt pretty raucous from where I was so for you it must have been even yeah. more so yeah I mean the third and fourth goals particularly mm. so Lacazette's goal and then Torreira's goal I can't remember celebrations that wild in the Emirates Stadium. I really, really can't. I mean, mm. I'm very lucky where I'm sat or stood rather in block six. I'm on the end of a row, so I'm right on the stairs. So on both those goals, I sort of half ran, half got bundled all the way down the stairs, almost <laughs> to pitch side, 24 rows. And uh, it was just like people, you know, you'd sort of want, it was one of those amazing moments where you'd see like, Flashes of people you recognise from going to games in the past, people you know, people you don't know, grabbing you, hugging you, spilling pints over each other, climbing over each other. It was complete euphoria. Mm. I mean, maybe particularly the fourth, because at that moment it was like, it's our day, the game's won, you know. Yeah. It sealed sealed the comeback. Um, But, yeah, it was, you know, we've been doing the, the past cast extra for Patreon subscribers, looking at games in the past, and we we did one uh, about the Barcelona match. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's out yet. It's not out yet. coming out this week. Okay, so one to savour. But in that, we we spoke about how kind of that sort of was the most, what's the word, the most atmospheric moment that we could really remember at at that time at the Mm. Emirates Stadium. And honestly, for me, yesterday felt on a par with that. I think 
there was a lot of catharsis in the win, and I think a lot of the angst that has been around the club over the past 12 months and, and pu- previous to that too mm. was, I'm not going to say punctured or evaporated or completely gone, but I think it was assuaged and I think that people really came together mm. in that moment. And we've had days like that at Wembley with cup finals and the like, but maybe we haven't had too many days quite like that at the Emirates Stadium. And so from that point of view, it was really, really special. Yeah, the fact that we scored two goals within two minutes as well, it always has a, has an impact, like I said, in the 75th minute, Torreira in the 77th minute. And it's been quite a feature, hasn't it, of Unai Emery's team this season is to score goals in quick succession. And when you score two goals like that, you're always going to be excited. But when you score two goals like that to cap a comeback against that pack of fuckers, you know, it's it's even more so. So, look, let's delve into it. Let's get into the game. Let's get into the lineup and the team selection. He stuck with the back three. There was no Mesut Ozil. I'm sure we have a question about that, so we'll leave that until the second part of the show because I think we should absolutely focus on what was good about yesterday and who was there yesterday rather than who wasn't. Um, sure. No real surprises in the lineup then considering who wasn't there he I think his only real choice or the only real choice he was going to make was between Ramsey and Mkhitaryan on the right hand side yeah and I think you know given the team he picked to to travel away in the Europa League I think that told us a lot about who was going to start Mm. uh, in this game I I was in two minds about back three versus back four a, a week ago and then over the course of the week sort of came round to the back three I think you know the wing backs offered enough going forward I thought it would give them something to worry about and actually I thought we started the game really well I mean ultimately yeah. I know we were losing at half time but the first 15 minutes or so we, we were all over them It's the best we started a game this season I think and we were really snapping into tackles we were up for it we were competing for every ball every second ball we were first there we had them on the back foot unquestionably it was a really really good start and that for me was a positive as well because you know whatever analysis you might make of how we're starting games or playing in the first half of games whether it's deliberate tactical whether it's just something that's um, a hallmark of this team at the moment uh, under Unai Emery, if you couldn't get a, a fast start or a bright start in a in a derby, you would be a little bit worried, wouldn't you? But it was there. Uh, we we really pressed them. We worked hard and got the goal fairly early on. It was about eight or nine minutes in. Aubameyang fouled down the uh, down the left hand side. What was Vertonghen thinking? What on earth was he thinking? A, a player of that experience. I have no idea. I mean, I suppose uh, I should briefly touch on Tottenham's lineup, and they they went with Vertonghen and Foyth as yeah. their centre halves, left Alderweireld out, which I have to say I was thank you. delighted with. Thank um, you. Yeah, thanks for that. Thank you very much. And both players committed major errors in the course of the game. Vertonghen's obvious one was the, the penalty, and he almost didn't really protest it. I mean, he knew he was bang to rights on it. It was a, a gift and uh, very calmly tucked away by Aubameyang. Yeah, it was, a, it was a great way to start the game. I think we had more chances as well, didn't we? I know that he took off Mkhitaryan and Iwobi at halftime uh, and we'll, we'll touch on those changes, those very, very effective changes, of course. But I thought both of them had, uh, started, the, started the game quite brightly. Iwobi down the left, yeah. Mkhitaryan on the right. I mean, in the first minute, I think Mkhitaryan created a chance for Aubameyang. Um, 
So maybe any disappointment maybe that we didn't press home the advantage a bit, um, considering how on top yeah. we were? There were a couple of big chances, weren't there? Mm. I mean, one fell to Iwobi from a Kalasnach pullback, I think it was. And it was he, good effort, I mean, it was good save. It's one of the, yeah, it was one of those where I've seen Iwobi lean back and put those over the bar so many times that I thought he did pretty well, actually, to keep it down and get it on target first time. So it was a decent enough save. And then uh, Bellerin, wasn't it, arriving at the back post? I think it might have been another Kalasnach yep. cross um, and very well blocked by Ben Davis. That looked that looked goal-bound, really, yeah. when Bellerin was arriving on it. So we did have chances in that respect. Um, and I, I, you did have that sense, that slight worry that you always do in these games, that we didn't necessarily press home that advantage. We weren't clinical enough, maybe, with the opportunities that we did create. And as long as that was the case, Spurs were going to come back into it. But that first 20 minutes was fantastic. It was our best start. And it was characterised by, I thought, real intensity, pressing high up the field, you know, Torreira, Mkhitaryan, winning balls, loose balls, second balls, high up the pitch and and capitalising on that really. Mm. So it was really promising. Uh, but then, you know, as we know, we were undone by uh, a very difficult five-minute spell. Yes, so they get a free kick. It was definitely a foul by Socrates on, I think it was Son. Uh, he stood on his it was Son, stood yeah. on his Achilles or the back of his heel anyway. Now, for me, I thought it was offside. I thought Dyer was offside when the ball came in. Yeah, didn't I would agree with that. Didn't seem to get too much mention in the analysis. Uh, maybe he wasn't offside. To me, he he definitely looked offside. I'm not sure Bernd Leno will put this down as one of his finest moments. No. I mean, I just think you, you've got to say that. It's, it's, it's at his near post. It's not very far from his body. He almost spills it into the side netting. Mm. You know, I, I think... You know, Manuel Almunia would be disappointed with that, so I think Bern Leno should be very disappointed indeed. So, that, that, yeah, I think that's got to go down as an error from Leno. OK, so after the goal, he went over and he shushed the the Arsenal crowd. Uh, I think I could be wrong here, but I think maybe what happened was Stefan... Did Stefan Lichsteiner pinch him? Is that what happened? If you look I'm at the not, replays, he I'm sort not of sure. sticks out his hand at him and I don't know what happens after that. I'm not sure, but I know that Litsteiner, from what I could see, and it was right in front of me, and that I was sat in that corner, uh, Litsteiner did seem like the instigator of everything that followed. And I suppose <laughs> that shouldn't come as any great surprise, should it? No, it shouldn't, but uh, I, I liked it. I have to say, I liked that we took exception to a guy who was just on a wind-up. And that's fine. He can do mm. the shush thing all he wants. You know, there's no big, uh, no big problem with that. But don't expect the home side to take it lying down. I think we have been, uh, maybe Gary Neville said, I didn't agree with a lot of what Gary Neville said yesterday, but I think he said something about how Arsenal have been too passive in the past. And I think that's true. And we weren't passive yesterday. We were reactive. And the fact that we got involved and got in among them, uh, Genduzi running down the line to get involved with Deli Ali, Ramsey in there as well. Uh, what's his face? Uh, stupid head bloke. I can't remember. Eric Dyer uh, telling mm. Ramsey, "Sit back down. Sit back down." Okay, he will for a few minutes. You wait and see. Um, I yeah. liked. I liked that there was th that edge to us because I think it's important. You know, we can talk about tactics and we can talk about shape and team selection and football style and everything else, but attitude and mentality is a big part of football and being a successful football team, being hard to beat or being, 
difficult to play against, it goes a long way. And I think there was something different in our attitude yesterday. Maybe it was just for this particular game, but it was very welcome. And I hope it's something we, uh, we continue. Yeah. And you know what? I, I loved it. I mean, it was one of those things you kind of envisage commentators saying, oh, we don't like to see that sort of thing. And I was thinking, we do like to see it. We love to see it. It's what we <laughs> want from a derby game. And it's what you also associate with some of the most successful Arsenal sides of the modern era. You yeah. know, that little bit of aggro. And I, you know, what's interesting, actually, is that we had... I think it was uh, the starting 11 we played yesterday had a combined 19 derby appearances yeah. compared yeah. with something like 70 or 80 for Spurs. They mentioned that on Match of the Day last night. And it was two guys who are completely new to the club in Licksteiner and Genduzzi who have no experience of the derby, who were probably at the forefront, along with Aaron Ramsey, yeah. of what was going on at the side of the pitch after mm. 1-1. And that just shows really that... I think we've signed good characters there. We've signed people who who get it, you know, who understand yeah. the rivalry and, and what it means. And as a fan, that's absolutely what you want to see. I mean, Genduzzi is a great example. I'm sure you've seen the clip of him <laughs> leaving the stadium yesterday in his car, celebrating out of the window of his car. You know, Someone else players, is driving, by the way. <laughs> yes, we should point that out, yeah. Don't try this at home. But, you know, these players who are new to London, new to Arsenal, new to the Premier League, and yet have embraced this rivalry and, and what it means to our, our culture as fans. So that mm. was fantastic. And I, and also, I just thought in that moment, as a fan, if you see heads go down, you know, if Spurs equalise and you see yeah. heads go down, you see players pointing the finger at each other, you see arms, you know, waving in frustration then maybe you, you're you concerned yourself and you lose a bit of belief. But seeing that bit of fight, you thought, yeah, well, yeah. even at 1-0 and even ultimately at 2-1, you know, we're not going to let this go. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think Hector Bellerin was involved in almost everything that was scrappy about yesterday. The bit late on when Winks was having a go at Granite Xhaka and uh, Xhaka was just sitting on the pitch laughing at him, Bellerin is straight over there. And I think we even saw some mm. of it uh, in the uh, after the, the second goal or when the penalty was awarded. Uh, for me, dive. What did you think? I think dive, yeah. I think dive. I mean, mm. what I would say, and it's not a day for being negative, and I think I actually think Rob Holding had a really good game yesterday. Yeah. I would say if, if Skodra Mustafi had gone sliding in like that, we would say, stay on your feet, mate. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um uh, I, it still doesn't negate the fact that it's a dive. Nevertheless, it's still yeah. a dive. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So then we have a reaction in the box and the players are pissed off and Kolasinac is shoving Sissoko around, I think. And I like that as well. I mean, at, at no point did I think Kane would miss. I was absolutely sure he would score the goal. But I liked again that it wasn't a case of, oh, fuck, now look what we've done. We've gone 2-1 behind, we were up, and oh, jeez, what are we going to do here? It wasn't that. The reaction was, fuck you. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. And fuck you, and while you're there, fuck you as well. That's what it was. And that, I think, uh, played a big part in in what we did in the second half. You know, that the, the mentality was there, 
And they said they talked about it at halftime. Aubameyang said something about they talked at halftime and they knew they had the mentality and the character, you know, to come back and do something. So Kane scores. It's 2-1. We go in at halftime. Disappointed, but what was your feeling at halftime as to whether or not this game was salvageable for us or whether it was going to get further away from us? I mean, the the first few minutes of the second half, they were slightly on top, I would have said. They had a couple of dangerous crosses and, and what have you. But I have to say, I didn't feel as disheartened as I should have because perhaps we've seen it so often this season we know we're a team that can produce in the second half. I think so. And I think we have a a coach who we trust to implement changes Mm. at halftime, or at least try and make changes at halftime. I mean, I must say, I didn't anticipate a double substitution. I don't think anybody anticipated uh, such a big change at that point. But I, I do think that as much as I liked the fight that we showed at the end of the first half, we did lose our way a little bit from a playing point of view. I think... Spurs maybe got to grips with the the plan that we were trying to put in action. You know, maybe they'd seen the Bournemouth game and done a bit of prep and in the Mm. course of the match, they adjusted to it slightly. I felt we were struggling to... We didn't show much attacking threat, really, in the second half of the first half. Um, And, you know, ultimately, they were squeezing us in midfield. You know, Granit Xhaka yesterday, we're used to him racking up 100 passes a game, something like it. Yeah. I think yesterday he got about... Uh, let, let me have a look. Fifty-four, it was, and his passing with an accuracy, accuracy of eighty-three yeah. percent. So they, I think, looked to press him. They looked to target him, and I think that did stop us playing. It put a big onus on the centre halves, holding and Mustafi, uh, and the wing backs to create. And I think Emery saw that and thought, I need to change this, and I need to bring on somebody who is going to give the team a bit more presence in central areas and who's willing to track back. And Aaron Ramsey. Was that guy really? I mean, you know, a, a huge, a huge impact from him. And I know he, you talked about the possibility of him starting this match because he had Derby experience. And great minds clearly think alike because <laughs> Unai Emery he referenced exactly that, didn't he, in his press conference? He did, yeah. And you made the point that we had what was it, nineteen, twelve games or whatever, or twelve yeah. derbies, and they had whatever nineteen. So yeah, so it does make a difference in games like this, having somebody who knows the game and knows the intensity of it and knows what it means. And I don't necessarily think he took off Mkhitaryan and Iwobi because they were playing badly. Uh, mm. I think they faded as the half went on, but I think he put the, the, the two players on because he knew we needed to do something different, as you say. Ramsey's movement immediately, almost immediately, started causing them problems. Uh, because he does give you that threat between the lines. He spoke about after the game as well. He said, you know, what were your instructions? And it was, you know, get between the lines and and bring other people into play. Brilliant ball from Hector Bellerin to send Ramsey in behind. He spotted Ramsey's run, inch-perfect pass. Uh, Ramsey's touched down to Aubameyang, and what a finish. Holy shit, he really hit that well, didn't he? It was like the Perez goal at White Hart Lane a few years ago where the ball sort of rolled across to him. It just broke to him and he, he curled it the same way, more or less. The goalkeeper got a hand on it that day, but Loris was just rooted to the spot. Yeah, it's a great strike. I mean, I think Aubameyang, when he scored against Cardiff, there were stats flying around about how he, he never scored from outside the box. It was mm. incredibly rare. Well, he's done it again in an Arsenal shirt. And uh, I think credit to Aaron Ramsey as well. It's a great run from him. Yeah. But also a great piece of awareness. Like, he he barely looks, you know, before just shifting that ball inside to Aubameyang. I think it's really great play from him. And a fantastic finish. Aubameyang, I mean... 
you know, there have been question marks over, well, you know, he's, he's a great goal scorer, but what else does he give you at centre-forward? Well, yesterday he led the team for tackles. He provided an assist. I thought it was an outstanding all-round centre-forward display from him yesterday. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was probably his best game for the club since he's since he's joined. Uh, I know he scored a lot of goals, yeah. but in terms of overall performance, I thought it was by far his best game. I think you could say that as well about, say, Kolasinac, who was uh, subject to some criticism here on this podcast last week. Uh, but credit mm-hmm. where it's due, I thought he was absolutely fantastic yesterday because he combined the attacking penetration and he he really did penetrate Tottenham quite a lot yesterday uh, with defensive awareness and defensive hard work that was a bit late in the game where they came down the right hand side it could even have been after the sending off it was that late in the game and we lost the ball maybe around halfway they came down and he just chased back and chased back and won the ball and took possession and off we went and it cut out any danger and that kind of defensive work if he can combine that with the the attacking quality that he gives us, makes him a you know a fantastic option on that left hand side. So it was really good to see that the defensive side of his game was he he maybe somebody had a word. Do you think? I don't know. Maybe I it's think just so. be, go on. No, I was just going to say, and in that second half in particular, you know, you've got Unai Emery on the sideline there, and it is no exaggeration to say that he was coaching both wing-backs through the game at times. So mm. Bellerin in the first half and then Kolasinac in the second half. And when you think about it, I mean, a player like Hector Bellerin, you know, we, we see him play wing-back and we, we he, he can be fantastic in that position, but it's not a position he knows massively well. It's not something he's done his whole career. And Emery, there are times when managers can point and shout on the sidelines and you feel like this is being lost, this is you know, sort of more for show than anything else. But he genuinely was shifting the player's position about on that flank uh, at every opportunity. And what was really interesting with Kolasinac was when we made the changes at half-time, I was expecting maybe a centre-half to come off and Kolasinac to go into a back four. But actually, if anything, in the second half, Emery was pushing him higher and higher up the field and and making sure he was really wide Mm. with a high starting position. You know, I think he saw in the first half that Kolasinac and Bellerin could hurt Spurs. And if anything, he looked to amplify that in the second half. And it worked a treat. I thought this was his best performance, if not his best performance in an Arsenal shirt, probably his best since a couple of years. So good day for him. And yeah, again, I just wanted to pay a little bit of tribute to the manager there because I thought his use of the wing-backs in this game, particularly with Spurs missing Trippier, I think mm. it was a big drop-off in quality between Trippier and Aurier, who I thought struggled to deal with Kolasinac. Uh, I thought it was really smart, smart work from the coach. Yeah, fair play. Uh, we have to give him credit as well for those halftime substitutions. They absolutely <laughs> changed the momentum of the game and changed the way we threatened them. Uh, you know, like yeah. you, like you said... I wasn't expecting a double change, maybe a change at halftime. I can't remember the last time Arsenal made two substitutions at halftime in a game that wasn't a friendly. Uh, so it's a brave move from the coach, and he really, really thinks about what way the game is going. Um, the quote I think I put on the blog today where he talked about, I envisaged this scenario. This was a number or one of a number of scenarios that I thought about. You know, if this is the situation, what will I do? Uh, And I love that attention to detail. He said, before the match, I prepared in my mind different situations. 
One was this. Um, so mm. it's not quite chalk and cheese from what we were used to in the past, but uh, having stuff prepared and set in stone for different in-game scenarios is really excellent from Emery. I, I like that he's thought about these situations, that he's thought about the possibilities. What do we do if we're 2-1 down? What do we do if we're 1-0 down? With You know, all of that sort of stuff. The changes that he thought about and the plans that he made worked. They absolutely worked. And I think uh, if we talk about maybe Kolasinac having his best game as uh, an Arsenal player, I think this was by far Emery's best day as as Arsenal's manager. Yeah, I agree. And I think actually that, that idea of preparing... Uh, substitutions and possibilities for during the game makes all the more sense when you see how passionate and how caught up in things Emery can get during a game. I think there's probably an argument that when you're that invested and involved in every kick of the ball, it probably helps to be able to step back and say, well, what did I prepare before the match? You know, rather than being caught in an emotional decision to be able to fall back on your preparation and fall back on your planning. And I thought what he did in the second half was really smart. I mean, he effectively inverted the front three because, you know, he went from having Iwobi and Mkhitaryan playing off Aubameyang to kind of having split strikers with Aubameyang and Lacazette who seemed to be playing almost in the channels and then Ramsey given more freedom to break between them. Mm. It, It worked an absolute treat and Spurs couldn't live with it. And the physicality of Aaron Ramsey, you know, that sheer running energy not to say his technical skill, is so difficult to live with. And I think coming on at half-time against legs that are already a little bit weary, his impact was was heightened. And it was a, a really stunning demonstration of what he can offer. You know, there's been a lot of talk yeah. about, well, how do we use this guy? He's going to be leaving at the end of the season. You know, to what extent should he be involved? And uh, I thought this showed, you know, he's not somebody who I think we can afford to just cut ties with and let him rot in the reserves. Exactly. You know, this is a player who, who who has huge quality, but also huge reserves of character. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, is playing, essentially putting his body at stake. He's probably going to leave on a Bosman in six months' time uh, and yet played with so much commitment and so much desire, uh, visible desire during the game. Mm. I think you've got to take your hat off to him, really, and say, you know, he, he behaved like a, a top professional. Absolutely. That's exactly the words I would use. A real pro. And, uh, you know, he is of such quality that you can't afford not to use him. I can understand not wanting to build your team around him so you become dependent on him if he is going to leave, and it seems that he is. But not using him at all would just be cutting off your nose to spite your face. And he was involved in the third goal. He robbed uh, the centre-half, Foyth, I think his name is. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, set Lacazette free. I thought maybe the chance had gone, but he cut back inside. And not only was it brilliant to see the, the ball go in the bottom corner, but it was brilliant to see it go in off the shins of Eric Dyer as well. That made the goal all the sweeter oh. for me. I mean, you know, couldn't happen to a nicer guy, could it? I, <laughs> listen, he had that coming. He had that coming from the moment he gave the the shush sign to the Arsenal fans. He was asking for trouble, and it came back to haunt him. I, I can't bear Eric Dyer. I find him such a one-dimensional, infuriating player. And I think because I'm English, 
and I've had to put up with watching him play for England at times. I think that frustration is all the more. So, yeah, I was delighted to see him get some form of uh, comeuppance yesterday. And credit to Lacazette. I mean, I also thought the chance was gone. He hit it well enough off his left foot. I don't think it would have given the keeper much trouble, but if you don't buy a ticket, you don't win the lottery, do you? And he, he took his chance and we got a little bit lucky. Yeah, maybe. Lucky or, you know, if you take a shot from there and the... the uh the defender doesn't defend properly. He just sort of stood there with his hands behind his back. You just get that little bit of, okay, good fortune, I think, might be... Um, might be Good fortune, maybe. Good or fortune. maybe Lacazette thought, I'm going to cannon this off Eric Dyer and into the net to, <laughs> to serve him right. Yeah, piece of football genius there. Yeah, but uh, Dyer uh, yeah. involved in the, the fourth goal as well. Lovely move from Arsenal. Aubameyang picking it up on the right-hand side, cutting back inside, playing a ball inside the channel to Lucas Torreira. Who's, who's bombing through there? It's quite why our defensive midfielder is is that high up the pitch. Uh, I don't really know, but uh, I, I have no problem with it considering what the outcome was. Dyer left on his arse, which was brilliant. And if you watch replays of the goal, he throws a bit of a tantrum when the ball hits the back of the net, as if it was somebody else's fault that he got turned by a five foot five Uruguayan who then took it on and blasted home the the goal. Really good finish from Torreira. There's one of those positions where I was going, is he going to shoot? Is he going to square it for Lacazette? But it was like, now nah, this is a this is a position I'm in. Uh, I'm going to just took this away and you could see what the goal meant to him as well he was almost in tears wasn't he He just really got caught up in the moment yeah he really did but I mean you know if there's one thing we know I guess about Uruguayan footballers it's that they play with plenty of passion and you saw Mm. that in his celebration in his celebration yesterday I mean it's a great take I thought he would square it to Lacazette potentially but he hit it firm and true and he threatened a goal before that Mm. I think he had a couple of efforts from the edge of the box one in the second half fizzed just past the top corner didn't it after I think Mustafi had a shot cleared off the line uh, maybe from a corner Uh, but anyway he eventually got the goal and it was a great moment I think it was sort of a perfect crowning moment on the day because the Arsenal fans have really taken Torreira to their hearts because of how excellent his performances have been frankly I mean Bern Leno said he had another perfect performance. Mm. He really has made, you know, his presence immediately felt in the Arsenal midfield. It feels like the midfield's now built around him, essentially. Yeah. And he's been so beloved of the Arsenal fans. They've been singing his name. And then to get like, the goal, his first Arsenal goal in the derby, uh, it just really set the seal on things. And, and the party started there. I mean, from that point on, you know, we were... I mean, we had... A, I think we had a scare at the other end, but it wasn't long before the the Olays were were started. <laughs> the Olays, yeah. Normally, I'm like, oh no, don't don't do Olays. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's sort of like the equivalent of sixty thousand people doing the shush. Uh, you're you're asking yeah. for trouble. You always feel like you're inviting trouble, and I know it's ridiculous, but it just. Uh, it doesn't always sit right with me, but I thoroughly enjoyed them uh, yesterday, I have to say. And I thought Torreira, in general, was brilliant. Uh, as much as anyone, he set the tone for our performance with the way that he got stuck into Tottenham and into the tackles and, and how he uh, just how he fucking got well into this game. You know, he was well and truly up for it. And I think that's true, obviously, of all the players. But, uh, you know, he's got the benefit of being uh, new as well. They had a man sent off, Vertonghen sent off. Uh, don't think he can have any complaints. Um, and from two one no, down, I was just relieved. Go on. Relieved it wasn't a more serious injury. It looked <clears throat> uh, looked bad at first. They were doing all the the waving of the physios on and things like that. So 
Hopefully that was just to sort of convince Mike Dean to do the right thing. Yeah, yeah. Because Lacazette obviously played on, so he was all right. It was it was a bit of a nasty one, though, in fairness. It was a bit of a nasty one. It was, one. yeah. Uh, yeah, considering he's just coming back from injury as well, the last thing that we need is is another injury. So 2-1 down and 4-2 up and Tottenham, well, they they do it again. They they get into a winning position and they blow it. It's almost like... It's the history of the Tottenham. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very much like that. I I love, I'll never tire of the fact that the, the history of the Tottenham has reached sort of mythic status on the it's continent. It's the history of the well. Tottenham. <laughs> <laughs> has reached, you know, it's, yeah. it's it, that story has permeated all cultures. They are known as perennial failures. And yeah. it's happened again. You know, they've thrown away a lead against Arsenal again. Oh. And uh, it was just a tremendous, tremendous afternoon. I, I, It was one of those perfect football days. You know, it's sort of grey, a bit drizzly. Mm. Uh, and it ended in Spurs fans traipsing out of our stadium, you know, giving the wanker signs to each other for leaving early, <laughs> which I enjoyed. Oh, uh, and yeah, just, a, a, you know, the Arsenal fans, a lot of them stayed in the ground after the final whistle, which you don't always see. You know, there was that those great celebrations with Aubameyang and Doozy and, mm. the, and the crowd in the North Bank. It was just a really, really fantastic day. And something that, you know, we've had this unbeaten run kind of, rumbling along and it felt like we needed a result to crown it really to you know a sort of milestone result to really set this team on its way and I feel like we have that now and we go to Old Trafford for another massive game in the best the best possible spirits really yeah for sure for sure it feels like a a step forward did it feel like that to you for me certainly it's it's the most what was it uh Amy said once on the podcast that, you know, a team sometimes needs a fuck-off win. I think this was a fuck-off yeah. win, you know. It really was in in the context of the season so far, in the context of Unai Emery's uh, time in charge. You know, he had to win one of these big games coming up uh, against United or, uh, or Tottenham uh, because of what had come previously, you know, losing to Chelsea, losing to Man City, drawing with Liverpool. As he said himself, after the Liverpool game, it's not sufficient. And he knew that he had to get his team uh, over the line in this game in particular. I think more than the United game. I think this was the the really, really important game because not only uh, is it the North London derby, not only is it the fact that they are the old enemy, but we went ahead of them in the table. So all of a sudden, they're looking at this game coming into it in good form, having beaten Chelsea, beaten Inter Milan. They're full of confidence, um, full of maybe some arrogance, if you look at some of the stuff that was going around before. Uh, And they're looking at this going, you know, we can win the Emirates and all of a sudden we'll be six points ahead of them. Instead, we're above them in the table now. I know it's only on goal difference, but we're still above them. So in some ways it feels much more damaging to them and hugely positive for us. To sort of put them back in their place a bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, this season is about Arsenal getting back into the Champions League. I think we've known that since the end of last season, really. And I think, really, when you look at the table, it's about finishing above Spurs as well. I think that is a a big prize Mm. that's on the table for us that we need to reclaim. 
uh, and, and it's going to have a direct bearing on whether or not we make it into Europe. So this was a big result in that respect. I also think with one eye on Wednesday, you know, Manchester United drew again this weekend. So we've opened up a, an eight-point gap mm. over them, which, you know, maybe gives us a little bit more security, a little bit more comfort going to Old Trafford. doesn't make that, you know, a must-win game, which had we not beaten Spurs, you you fear it might have become. Yeah. Uh, and that would have brought with it its own pressures and its own difficulties. So... It was a great moment and it felt like, yeah, it really felt like Unai Emery had arrived at Arsenal, that we were watching a team play in in his way. We were watching players play in the way he wants them to. And I do think that the the atmosphere, the feeling between the crowd and the team was as positive as anything I can remember at the Emirates Stadium. And I think as someone who goes to games regularly, that's a huge feeling of relief to see mm. the repair that's been done to that relationship in the last few months. I think one of the things Wenger always said about atmosphere was that it's, you know, it is a circular thing in a way. When the team's doing badly, you'd like the crowd to get behind them. Uh, but, you know, human nature is human la- human nature. When a team goes out and snaps into a game the way we did, I think it immediately immediately sets the tone for uh, for that symbiotic relationship to, to work in a positive way. You know, it's easy to get mm. frustrated when you feel like a team isn't doing what it should do uh, in terms of it's the basics. I think it just comes right down to the basics. Working hard, being disciplined, being organized, running backwards when you've got to run backwards. You know, we had a lot of players maybe in the, in the Wenger era who didn't really enjoy doing that kind of work because it's hard. It is hard work. You know, when you're bombing forward and then all of a sudden you've got to chase back 40, 50, 60 yards at a sprint, it's not easy, but we're seeing players do that this season. We're seeing them work that hard. Um, It is a key part of what Emery wants his team to do. He said it countless times. The physical improvement we've made this season is obvious as well, isn't it? That we are fitter, we're faster, we're stronger, we're less passive, as we spoke about. We're not going to be intimidated by a Tottenham team that likes to kick other teams around. And they're allowed to do it, for the most part. They get away with it quite a lot. And we weren't going to be bullied by them. We weren't going to be physically intimidated by them. We weren't going to be outrun by them. I'd love to see the 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 physical stats from yesterday, actually, in terms of sprints made, distance covered, all that kind of stuff. I'm sure somebody will have them somewhere, but I'd be very curious to see uh, if it was uh, another one of those games where we ran further and harder than the opposition, because it does make a difference. And, you know, the reward for that work yesterday, when you've got the quality of some of the players that we have, like Aubameyang, like Lacazette, like Ramsey, Torreira, you know, these are guys who who really can produce. So the two things married perfectly. And when you have the crowd absolutely 100% behind you because they appreciate that effort, they appreciate what you're doing, they can see that it's coherent, that there's a plan, and add on top of that, everyone fucking hates Tottenham. No wonder it was such a brilliant atmosphere. That's true. And I would venture that we probably did outrun them yesterday and not just because they had a Champions League game in midweek to contend with. We are a much more physical unit than we have Mm. been for some time and and you could see that. I mean, intensity is probably the word I've used most frequently 
talking about the performance yesterday, and I think it is the most applicable. There was, mm. you know, a, a fervor about the way we set about the game in that first twenty minutes, and then chased the game in that second half. That was really, really exciting to watch, and it's just what we've been crying out for from this team for a few years now. And listen, I mean. I know it's a derby, it's easy to get yourself up for this kind of game, but I do think that this is something that we have seen signs of before this point in the season. And and what you have to hope now is that, you know, we've set a bit of a standard here by beating Spurs as comprehensively as we did. And I know it's not going to be the case that we're going to be able to do that every single week from this point on, but you've got to aim for that. You've got if we if we're serious about not just reestablishing ourselves as a a Champions League team but yeah. pushing on beyond that and contending for major honours this is the kind of level of performance that we have to produce more regularly sure and, you know that's that's the challenge now. sure it is you know I think everyone's realistic enough to know that there are going to be days like this and there are also going to be yeah. some days where it doesn't work or things don't go according to plan or whatever but we have to be conscious of the fact that, oh God, I don't want to sound like Unai Emery by saying it, it is a process, but I think what we're seeing is uh, we're seeing things start to develop and to make a bit more sense now, aren't we, with Emery? You know the way we've been trying uh, to figure out exactly what it is he wants to do? It feels like he's beginning to understand his squad and the players that he has available to him, and to be able to to not turn a game around but to change a game the way he did yesterday shows that there's a real understanding of the quality of the players that he's got in his squad who he's got available where he can deploy them and how they will work in the system that he wants to play I think that's really quite interesting yeah and I think part of understanding and accepting what Emery's Arsenal is like is is understanding and accepting that there isn't necessarily a best eleven. And there isn't necessarily mm. a best formation. I mean, this is a guy who will change the system and the personnel for each half of football, let alone each game. Mm. But I think that the, the tinkering has a bit more method to it at this point, And it feels more, considered it feels more informed, let's say, at this point. And that's absolutely understandable because he's had time to adjust to the league, adjust to the squad... And it feels like, I mean, look at the the weight of the impact, the changes he made yesterday was so huge. I mean, you know, you can't always get that fortunate. You can't always have things work quite as well as that. But I think, you know, huge credit lies with him for mm. for the turnaround in the game. And, and I also think more broadly, I mean, there's been a big cultural change at Arsenal in the last few months. And I think a lot of different people deserve credit for that. But I think... I would like to pay tribute to Unai Emery because I think he has been very classy since he came into Arsenal. And he, you know, it would be easy for him to make excuses and to say, well, look what I was left and, you know, look at the the atmosphere, look at the squad, there are problems. But he's never really done that. He's only ever spoken in positive terms Mm. about the process, about his affinity with the club. He's been a hugely positive, very dignified figure who's got results too. In a, and we always said that replacing Arsene Wenger, you know, would be a good job, but a difficult job in some ways. But he has made it look relatively straightforward. And I, I, I take my hat off to him for that. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's absolutely fair. So, uh, look, anything else you want to comment on from yesterday before we take a break and go into part two? 
Only to say that I'd like to thank Southampton Football Club for putting the, the cherry on the cake of this weekend by moments before the podcast starting, sacking Mark Hughes, which I, I never tire of seeing Mark Hughes get sacked. And it happens quite often, doesn't it? Yeah, that's the good thing about it, really. <laughs> if that's your hobby, watching Mark Hughes get sacked, then you're in luck. Uh, it I comes think, around once a season. Yeah, I think the, it might be the last time, though. It's hard to imagine that anybody is going to is going to jump to give him a job in the Premier League anytime soon. Um, but look, let's not worry about that. Let's take a break, uh, take some uh, moments just to uh, continue to bask in the, uh, in the great result from yesterday. We'll be back with your questions and more in part two right after this. It's the history of the Tottenham. It's the history of the Tottenham. It's the history of the Tottenham. They miss always something. They they concede many many chances every every game. Many chances every every game. It's the history of the Tottenham. 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 It's the history of the Tottenham. <laughs> Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog, which James is having some problems opening because he's got some uh, some internet difficulties. So we're muddling our way through this podcast. So if there are weird noises or delays or anything like that, uh, please bear with us. Uh, in the first half, you'll have heard James mention the Pastcast Extra, which is a new podcast we do for Arsblog subscribers on Patreon. On. We podcast a game as if it's just happened. We did the Arsenal 5-3 Borough and we've got Arsenal 2 Barcelona 1 from the Champions League in 2011 coming up this week. If you want to sign up, it's a five or a month plus VAT if you're in the EU. If you're not in the EU, you don't pay VAT. Uh, it's five euros. Uh, go to patreon.com forward slash Arsblog, patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. Uh, and thank you very much indeed. If you are already a member, uh, it's greatly appreciated. And we hope to see more of you on board uh, soon as well. So, James, let's start with the big question or the question that everybody is asking. 
today is about Aaron Ramsey and it's about Mesut Ozil. And I can't even begin to to pick them out. Lots of people saying, why are we letting Ramsey go and paying Ozil this amount of money? Uh, it's, it's a theme all the way through the questions. Let me ask you first, before we go into a, an actual question, what you make of Ozil's absence yesterday. Um, he is out with a back spasm. Uh, James Olley uh, from the Evening Standard reported this conversation uh, between the the, uh, the journalists and, and Unai Emery after the game, and Emery was asked, could he have played? And Emery said, he has backache. And he was asked, when did he get that? I don't know. Was he here today? I don't know. And then he said, I'd rather focus on the players who were here. Uh, quite rightly, I think we have a question here from Sean Adams, who says, since when does a back spasm stop you going to the game to support your teammates? Do you think yesterday marked the beginning of the end for Ozil at Arsenal? Do you, do you think there's more to this back spasm than just a back spasm? I don't know. I don't know. I, uh, you know, I, I tweeted yesterday saying I'd heard a rumour on the Saturday that Ozil wasn't going to be in the squad and that part of the reason for that was that he was none too happy about not being in Emery's starting eleven. That, you know, I don't know if that's true or not. That's just what I was told by someone who I know and I do trust. But ultimately, maybe he has got a back spasm. Um, if, you know, if he does... He he has got a real problem with that back, and there should be more discussion about it, and more being done to fix it. I mean, I've never known a player have a recurrent injury so frequently without it ever being sort of questioned in a press conference. If if I get in a press conference with Unai Emery, I'm going to say, "What's wrong with Mesut Ozil's back?" Because <laughs> it's, it always seems to be playing up, and you know, is is that going to be ongoing for the rest of his career? What's happening there? Because it does seem like a curious situation. And I would say we had these stories earlier in the season, didn't we, about a possible row at the training ground. And I know, you know, Tim Stillman sort of vouched for it because he knew the the Brazilian journalist in question Mm. and said he wouldn't have made the story up. I don't know. There's a lot of smoke here. And, you know, it's tempting to believe there might be some fire behind it because it's not a great leap of the imagination to see that there might be some issues between Unai Emery and Mesut Ozil, simply because Mesut Ozil's accustomed to playing every single week, being the big star at Arsenal, and Unai Emery doesn't necessarily have a place for him in his ideal team. Mm. Hmm. What did you make of it all? I'm suspicious. You know, on the one hand, he has had back problems since last year. He was out towards the end of last season with back issues. But sometimes, you know, a back problem isn't always a back problem because it's so hard to diagnose or to be specific about. You know, a player can be absent because he's got a back issue. Uh, And I'm not saying that, uh, like you, I don't know. All I know is I'm suspicious that for our biggest game of the season so far, one of Unai Emery's captains is, is not available. Uh, Oza was in training all week, and yes, he could have tweaked his back in training. Maybe you have to take that uh, that information at face value. But when you think, uh, when you look at what Unai Emery said, when did it happen? I don't know. That's mm. that's not good. Was Ozil in the stadium? I don't know. 
That's definitely not good. Because he should be. Even if he's injured, he should be in the stadium supporting his team. I think it's mandatory, is it, for the players? As far as I'm aware, anyway, for first-team players to attend. Go on. Koscielny was there, for example. Mm. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think... And they're lovely, comfy seats at the Emirates. You know, they wouldn't do your back any great harm. It's difficult to know. And I know some people say... I took a lot of stick, actually, online for saying, oh, I heard this rumour on Saturday night. And I actually I thought about tweeting on Saturday night, and I didn't because, you know, I, I, I wasn't convinced that it was true. I thought Ozil would play on mm. Sunday. I really thought Emery would pick him. Um, and maybe he would have done had he been available. But I, I just think whether whatever the, the truth of the situation, there is a big discussion to be had about... Meza Ozil and his his place in this squad moving forward and and watching the performance yesterday I mean I like you my inclination is to talk about the players who were involved and but watching that performance and the intensity with which we played I think it is fair to wonder what sort of part he might have played in that and if 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 he fits that model mm. of how to approach a game um a lot of the questions were about sort of Ozil versus Ramsey, weren't they, yeah. uh, that we had for this podcast. And I think that's an interesting one. I mean, I would say that, uh, you know, I off the back of yesterday, a lot of people are saying, we must give Ramsey a new contract. And I would say there's the possibility there that we would sort of get stung a little bit in the way we've maybe been stung with Meza Ozil. You know, mm. he had a very, very good run of form where he looked really invaluable to the team and we put him on a contract that we're now tied into despite him not necessarily being the best fit for Unai Emery. There is a danger, I would say, if if a compromise could be reached with Aaron Ramsey, that we might land ourselves into a similar situation. Um, as good as Ramsey looked yesterday, it was coming off the bench and I'm still not convinced that Emery sees him as a, a big part of the team moving yeah. forward. So, uh, yeah, but if it, if it was a straight choice, then it becomes a really interesting conversation. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it is a straight choice. Maybe we're talking about two players who don't really fit into Emery's system or his starting 11. Um, I think mm. whatever I think happens, are, I mean, yeah. we have, we have a, you know, a question from... Cal, 90, at 96 Cal, he says, does the performance yesterday reignite the Ramsey contract conversation between club and player? Do we finally see how he fits in the team? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I don't think you can hand out a massive, massive contract to a player who you view as a sub or someone who can change a game, you know? So, I, you, you know me and people who listen will know I'm a big fan of Aaron Ramsey and... Uh, I would have liked to see him start the game yesterday. I'm delighted he came on and had the impact that he did. But I think the decision as to whether or not contract talks should be reopened has to lie with Unai Emery, not the club. And I know that it's, you know, we've the head of contract and we've the head of football and we've head of recruitment and all these kind of people who are kind of making those decisions. But ultimately, it's got to be on the back of what Unai Emery wants from his team and what he wants his team to be and if Aaron Ramsey can be a regular starter for for Unai Emery and Mm. it's difficult to know how much of him being on the bench is because he doesn't fit Emery's 
plans or because of his contractual situation, which means that Emery is trying to find ways of building his team without a player who's not going to be around. Uh, and, you know, keeping Ramsey on the bench obviously gives you some quality should you need to change a game or, or bring him on in the second half. So I think that could be a big part of why he's been on the bench. The Ozil thing, I, you know, I, it's, it's, it's got to be a conversation. As much as we want to focus on the players who were there yesterday and who did what they did yesterday and made it all so fucking brilliant and enjoyable, when your biggest player, your highest paid player, your biggest star misses a game again with a back injury that the manager himself has cast doubt over by the way he answered those questions. Like, when did he get the back injury? Well, it happened yesterday in training. He went for a tackle and whatever. That's a simple piece of information if that piece of information is there. But to say, I don't know, and for Ozil not to be in the stadium, it just, it's not good enough. It's not good enough for a player who is being paid what we're paying him. And you can talk to me all day long. And look, I'm, I like Mesut Ozil as a player. But you can talk to me all day long about how many Twitter followers he has and how much branding he has and how valuable he is commercially and all that kind of stuff. We're not getting what we thought we were going to get from Ozil when we made him one of the highest paid players in the Premier League. You know, £350,000 a week is an astonishing amount of money for Arsenal to be uh, paying. You know, we're not one of the big, 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 big money-rich teams. You know, and if you're going to give somebody that contract, you need them to repay that on the pitch. And bar some flashes here and there, that brilliant performance against Leicester, I don't think we're seeing it from Ozil. And I don't think Emery is seeing it. And I think he's not, he's not putting up with it. And maybe it's causing friction yeah. in the background. And maybe Ozil doesn't like it. And if Ozil doesn't like it, tough shit but you still have responsibilities. And he should have been there yesterday, and it's disappointing that he wasn't. I, I think that it's a long way, isn't it, from Emery saying, you know, we mm. have to make Arsenal Ozil's home. You know, do you remember... Family, yeah, at, talking at, about at him family, yeah. I, I think Emery's tried really hard. I think he has been trying very, very hard with Ozil uh, to help him get over what was a traumatic summer and everything else. You know, talk about him coming back into the family and and supporting him and everything else publicly. Yeah. He's never he's never been critical of him. He's played down issues that happened this season, but at the same time, he hasn't been slow about taking him off or bringing him to Europa League games. And he's tried. Didn't we speak a couple of weeks ago about maybe uh, the reason he was left? Oh, it was last week, I guess. Remember we said last week um, when he was on the bench at Bournemouth, you know, was it just mm. because he didn't fit or was there an element of him trying to get a reaction out of Mesut Ozil? You know, I'm so important. I shouldn't be left on the bench for a game against Bournemouth, which tells its own story, you know, in itself. Maybe he did get a reaction. Maybe the reaction was not a positive one. And maybe that's why Mesut Ozil wasn't there yesterday. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, it, yeah, it does feel a little bit like what happened with Aaron Ramsey, that Emery came in with the, the best intentions and really has tried to make it work, but it doesn't appear to have been working. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I'm not going to say, oh, it's a breaking point or anything like it, but it, it does feel like it does feel like there's there's a, an issue there, mm. certainly. Um, 
And credit to the manager because he he hasn't taken it public. I don't think he's not made it nasty in in any way. It's all above board professionally, and it all seems absolutely fine. And of course, Mesut Özil's social media is as cheerful as it always is. But <laughs> I think we can infer there is a bit more to this going on behind the scenes. And to be honest, even if we take absolutely everything at face value, we've still got a player on 350 grand a week who misses a lot of football through injury. And when he is available, isn't necessarily first choice. Yeah. And that is a problem. It is a problem. Uh, we have a question here on Facebook. Okay, it comes from Fergus Knight on Facebook. He says, if we get an offer for Ozil in January from Inter, as rumoured over the weekend, do we let him go and use his wages to renew Aaron Ramsey's contract? Leave aside the Ramsey thing, because we've talked about that, really. But if an offer came in for Mesut Ozil in January, would you be inclined to take it? Well, it's interesting thinking about what sort of offer that would be. I mean, increasingly, you do wonder, given the salary that Ozil's on, what kind of transfer fee, almost if any, he would command. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, he's got big wage demands, obviously. Uh, but he is only 30 years old and he's on a long-term contract. So I, yeah. th- but that's the issue. I'm not sure that the demand for Mesut Ozil is that high. No. I mean, thinking of clubs that could or would sign him and, and who could afford it, I mean, PSG always spring to mind because they've got kind of endless financial resources. Um, And then I suppose the two big Spanish teams, maybe. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I I forget who, sorry, but somebody did tweet in a question saying, what about swapping uh, Mesut Ozil for Ousmane Dembele at Barcelona? (laughs) Like that, I mean, maybe. Something like that is a plausible option. I think... I, I would let Mesut Ozil go if the money that's invested in his salary was reinvested in players that Unai Emery had more use for. Mm. I would do that, yeah. Um, and the same, to an extent, goes to the proposed Aaron Ramsey salary. You know, ultimately, if Sven and Unai feel like there's a better use of that money, I'm prepared to put my my faith in them at this point because I don't necessarily see that Ozil will suddenly become an instrumental part of Emery's team. I just, it's always felt like a bit of an awkward marriage and it, you know, it it doesn't feel like one that's ever going to bear fruit necessarily. What what about you? Yeah, I'd be very tempted if the money came in because if we got a transfer fee and £350,000 a week to redistribute on maybe the current squad or also new players coming in, I think we could probably do more with that money than we're going to get from Mesut Ozil between now and whenever his contract ends. When does his contract end? How long has he got? I'd, it must be a... F- I mean, if he signed it last February, wasn't it, that it was announced, I think it probably would have been three and a half years at the time, maybe? Yeah, contract until twenty. 20- 21, so he's got 2019. Wow. Hang on a second. I mean, that is... Two more seasons after this season. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. So that's that's a lot of money, isn't it? I mean, yes. And, 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 and he certainly won't be signing another Arsenal contract, you wouldn't 
think. Multiplied by 104. Um, so it's 30, two seasons of Mesut Ozil's salary is 36 and a half million pounds, basically. So another half a season on top yeah. of that. That's nice yeah, work. It's a lot of money. Another nine million. So over forty million pounds if he stays to the end of his contract. I'd be tempted. Yeah. I'd be tempted. Well, I mean, that salary alone, I mean, if you think about some of the signings we made this summer, take mm. Lucas Torreira, for example, you could get several of him, you know, wages wise <laughs> for that for that measure Ozil chunk. Um but I think ultimately, you know, we're not really in a position to kind of make that decision. I yeah. feel like it would take someone to be willing to take on that salary. And, and that just feels unlikely at this point. You know, I, I never necessarily bought into the idea that Meza Ozil wouldn't have had suitors at the end of his previous contract that was running out at the end of last season because, you know, I, I really thought there would be players, clubs willing to sign him on a free transfer at that point. Or, or maybe mm. not a free transfer even. However... At this stage, his salary is so high, and you've got to at least match that, really, for him to move. Yeah. I really find that difficult to envisage happening. Yeah. Anyway, look, it's uh, it's going to be a story. There's no escaping it, you know. Uh, it is going to be something that the club have to get on top of, whether it's Mesut Ozil's injury or whatever else it is, they have to get uh, on top of this situation because the more and more this season goes on, the more or the less patient I think people are with what's going on and, and what's happening. so um, It's a little bit reminiscent in some ways of Thierry Henry, I think. You know, when he mm. was very close to leaving Arsenal and his contract in you know, a situation was very tense and then he signed an extension, stayed on, you know, to be at the Emirates Stadium. And then he was troubled, wasn't he, by sciatica and, and back problems and found himself out of the team at points with Van Persie and Adebayor kind of taking over from him. There were rumours of some training ground uh, problems with Arsene Wenger, who he always had a very good relationship with, but there were definitely stories at that time that the relationship had become a little bit strained, that Henri's position at the top of the club from a player power point of view was something that didn't go... Oh, maybe Wenger viewed as not necessarily a positive thing. So, yeah, maybe you're and right. There, there were similar stories as well of, you know, he was declared injured for a number of games where it was kind of unclear, you know, what was injury and what wasn't, I seem to remember mm. at that time. Um, Back problem. So, yeah, there are parallels there, and we know how how that ultimately ended. Okay. Well, look, let's leave that for the moment and get back to what uh, what's at hand. And obviously... We have yeah. a game on Wednesday. So Alan Levermore on Facebook says, was Xhaka suspended for Wednesday, which is one of the, I suppose, the the negatives from yesterday. He picked up his fifth booking of the season, so he has to sit out the game at Old Trafford. Was Xhaka suspended for Wednesday? Is it time to introduce Ainsley Maitland-Niles in his preferred role? I fear we could lose him if, if he only gets time as a makeshift fullback. He says Granite Xhaka remains a flawed first choice, but I think I think Xhaka is a miss for Wednesday. Undoubtedly so. I mean, Xhaka and Torreira have formed a really effective partnership and they were a big part of things yesterday, even if Xhaka was not as, as ball-dominant as he can be in the centre of midfield. Um, I wouldn't necessarily expect Ainsley Maitland-Niles to come in, nor would I expect Aaron Ramsey to take that position. I know a lot of people have said, well, 
there's, that opens up a spot for Aaron Ramsey immediately. I think it'll be uh, Genduzi who plays alongside Torreira. And I think after his his cameo yesterday and everything we've seen from the season, I think he's ready for it. I think it's going to be a huge test, obviously, to mm. go to Old Trafford. But I think with Torreira alongside him, I think he's the best kind of analogue that we have for Shaka. Uh, and I think he's the, the obvious choice to come in. What do you reckon? Uh, I, I think probably Genduzi, yeah. It, I'm curious as to whether he'll stick with the back three. I think he will. I think he'll stick with the back three. If Mustafi's fit. If Mustafi is fit, yeah. He went off yesterday, so he may have to have a rethink in that regard. So it might be an extra man in midfield anyway, which could open the door for Ramsey if he if he's uh, mm. given the nod by the manager. Uh, I don't want to keep going on about Mesut Ozil, but would Old Trafford away be the kind of game that you would have picked him for anyway? I'm not sure. If you're not picking him I for Bournemouth so. away... I don't know why you would pick him for Old Trafford and Manchester United away. So we'll wait and see. Maybe there might be a bit more on this over the coming days uh, because we'll have a press conference from Unai Emery probably tomorrow. So we'll get more team news there. But for me, if Mustafi's not fit, then Genduzi and Ramsey into midfield would seem to uh, seem to be a good way to fill the gap for me. Yeah, I think if he can, if Mustafi is fit, he'll stick with the bat three. What do you think he'll do? I mean, John Foster, at John L. Foster says, how do we line up on Wednesday without Shaka? What do you think he'll do in the final third? Mm. You know, Lacazette had a big impact off the bench yesterday. Ramsey, too, we mentioned maybe his midfielder. Do you think Iwobi and Mkhitaryan will keep their places? Do you think he'll go with the second half team? What, what do you make of the, the sort of front end of the pitch? I don't quite know because obviously Lacazette had a great impact. He came on. The fact that we had him to bring on though was great also. You know, if we go with the two strikers tomorrow and we need to change something, how do we do it? That's where I think mm. he might have some reservations about picking Lacazette from the start tomorrow or on Wednesday rather. Because if we are a goal down or if we need a goal in the game or we're trying to win the game, what do we have on the bench who can come on and have that kind of an impact? So I have a feeling he might just stick with Iwobi. Who else could he play on that right-hand side, though, rather than Mkhitaryan? I don't know. I don't know. It's... Um, Part of what makes this season interesting is is figuring out what way he's going to do it. You know, he could surprise us again by playing a different formation, something similar to what we did at Fulham by playing two strikers. I don't know. I don't know. It will depend on how he views Manchester United and what all his analysis of Manchester United has told him about what's the best way to to get at them. Defensively, they're, they're not great. So maybe it's, you know, you can afford to go a bit top-heavy um, which is a strange thing to say when you're going to Old Trafford, but maybe that's the best way to hurt them. Maybe. I mean, I think central midfield, they've, they've really struggled as well. So maybe if he goes for three in there, you know, it might enable him to really dominate that part of the pitch. I think you'll, you make a good point about Lacazette and leaving something in reserve on the bench. I mean, there was a great stat on Match of the Day last night. You know, Arsenal uh, have the most goals by substitutes in the Premier League this yeah. season with eight and they have the most assists by substitutes in the Premier League this season with seven. So I think, you know, with the goals and assists, substitutes have contributed 15 Premier League goals to Arsenal this season. I think that the team are in second place, it's nine. So we've had tremendous impact off the subs bench. And I think, 
I think keeping one of Lacazette or Aubameyang back at this stage with Welbeck out and you know Nketiah still developing, I think it's probably important. Um, Emery likes to make those changes, doesn't he? He likes to switch things up yeah. in the second half, uh, and I just he won't want to. He won't want to, you know, play all his cards in the starting eleven. So I think Lacazette, especially having picked up a knock maybe with that uh, Vertonghen tackle at the weekend, I think he'll he'll start on the bench again at Old Trafford on Wednesday. Yeah, I think uh, I think that might well be the case. But we'll we'll wait and see what Unai Emery does there. Have you got a question, or did you just ask? I one? do. Um, <laughs> this question is from Brad Dennett, who's at Bradley underscore Dennett. And Brad says, our team's transformation of character has been incredible. What do you attribute this to? Emery, the new recruits, e.g. Aubameyang, new tactics or something else? All of the above. I don't think it's any one thing, is it? I don't think it can be any one thing. I think a new manager coming in obviously changes the way that players work and operate and... Emery is clearly uh, a very passionate man. <clears throat> That's not me getting emotional there, by the way. I've just got a, a quite tickly throat today. So um, he's very passionate. You can see it on the sidelines. You know, when the goals are going in, he's gesturing to the crowd and, you know, getting everybody going. So that's part of it. He demands that from them as well, doesn't he? You can see in even those training session videos that they put up, you know, he's always looking at the positive side of what a player is doing. Yes, Hector. All this kind of stuff, you know? So he, yeah. <laughs> he, he, he is bringing that kind of attitude to the team. I think as well, players are still in the, in the, what's the word I'm looking for here? In that phase where they're trying to impress a new manager. Most of them, anyway, are trying to impress a new manager and get into the team and become regular and play more often. So you've got, you've got that going forward. I think as well, one of the things that might be a factor is the fact that we've got a lot of good young players coming through as well. And the senior players will be looking at those guys and they won't be blind to the fact that these kids want their chance and want their place in the team. And I think that keeps people on their toes. Emery's decision-making in terms of how he picks his teams. Uh, You know, he's not leaving anybody really out in the cold. Uh, When he makes changes, he's doing it for the reasons he think will help him win a game. So if you're not playing in this game or if you are taken off in this game, it's not like he's throwing you to the wolves or anything like that. He just thinks somebody else can do a better job in those circumstances. And I think it feels very inclusive. It feels like there's a good atmosphere within the squad and they're really, they've Mm. bought into his methods. I don't think you see that kind of attitude and mentality if they have doubts about him and the work that he's doing. Because if they're going to training and they think, this guy, I'm not sure. Yeah, he talks a lot, but "Mm." you would see that reflected in performances. And you don't become one of the hardest working teams in the Premier League in terms of distance covered and sprints and tackles and all that kind of stuff if the players aren't fully, fully on board with what he's doing on the training ground. So I think that's that's a big part of it. I, I agree with you. And I think that that's had a huge impact. I also think credit to the recruitment team. I think we've brought in a good mix of characters. You yeah. know, we mentioned Genduzzi and uh, Licksteiner earlier you know they're at opposite ends of the age and experience spectrum but 
both seem like the kind of guy that you you want in your squad. And I think Aubameyang does deserve mention too. I think, you know, he's had a huge impact in terms of the morale. He seems to be at the centre of a lot of the camaraderie. I mean, there was a really nice moment. I think it was after his uh, goal, there was a big sort of celebration in the corner. And then just as he was going back, he sort of took a moment and had like a little private celebration with Ainsley Maitland-Niles. And they had like a little you know, handshaky, dancey thing that they clearly had established between each other. And it's like Ainsley Maitland-Niles is a young kid who's coming up into the squad. You know, I know he's been around the first team a while, but the fact that he shares that kind of relationship with a star as big as Aubameyang, I mm. think tells you a lot about him as a player and what he what he brings to the squad. So I think his influence has been really positive. But I also think, yeah, of course you're right. You're right to... Uh, to cite the manager and, and his influence. But it, it, it is a dramatic transformation. And I think we're seeing things from these players that maybe we didn't think they had in them, some of them. Yeah, and yeah. I, I, I think, you know, that, that that shows how important it is to get these things right because we're now starting to deliver something like the potential of this squad. Yeah, uh, And for a long time we were under-delivering and we're now getting you know, back to something approaching par. So that's good. Yeah, I like it when the players have each other's backs. You know, if there's a confrontation, back up your mate. First thing. Yeah. Just get in there and get fucking stuck in. And we did that. And we haven't always seen that. And, you know, by and by, it's the same players we've had for years, you know. But watching those players stick up for each other is a really positive thing for me. And I know special circumstances yesterday with the derby and everything else, but... You know, I think that was I think that was really great to see. We've got a few just to sort of finish us off here. Another one was uh, was Brad Dennett again, actually. Um, but he had oh, well. some... Oh, why is this not working, for fuck's sake? I'm having a bit of a nightmare. Uh, he said, following the result last night, which picture or moment was your favourite? Socrates standing over Kane? Socrates chirping son when he told him after the game that he dived for the penalty? Genduzi celebrating or others? I mean, the, the picture of, uh, say, Kolasinac standing there about to thrust the corner flag into the ground while the players behind him are in a huddle celebrating the goal. There's something kind of epic and medieval about that, isn't it? It's like a, a warrior scene. Look at the bodies that I have slayed. Now I will put my sword in the ground. Fucking brilliant. Love yeah. that picture. <laughs> I like that. I did like um, both those Socrates ones too, particularly mm. the one of him standing over Kane. is just a great photograph. And actually, I think... He did a really good job on Harry Kane, Socrates. He played as the, <laughs> the central centre-half of the three. And a lot of the time, it was almost man-marking on Kane. He was following around. He was right in his back at every possible opportunity. I feel like with Socrates, you have to take the rough with the smooth. And there's plenty of rough. Like, he loves the physical element of defending. And I think sometimes he can be guilty of maybe loving that a bit too much. Like, for example, I thought his foul in the build-up to Spurs' mm. first goal yesterday was a bit clumsy, a bit unnecessary. And I think there are moments where you say, you didn't need to kick that guy then, but he does love kicking them. So <laughs> I think you have to accept that a bit. And what I liked about his performance yesterday was he was very vocal with Mustafi and holding on either side of him. He had a big organisational influence. You could see it, actually, on the pitch. He was kind of pulling people around, moving mm. them into position. Uh, and he showed some real leadership qualities at the back. And it's still, you know, relatively early in his Arsenal career. But I think we're beginning to see what it is he brings. And uh, I thought 
he had a good day really on balance yesterday I thought Socrates had a, a really good game did you yeah. I imagine you probably enjoyed his antics I, I I at the end of the 90 minutes was amazed that he didn't get booked there was one foul in the <laughs> second half where it was it was well into their half and I think he just stood there and held on to Kane and yeah I was fully expecting Mike Dean to give me a yellow card I loved the way that he played against Kane he didn't give him a fucking inch all day did Kane have a shot apart from the penalty? I don't think he did. I don't think he. I don't think he did. So he was, he was physically all over him, which was brilliant. And Kane was really fucked off about it. There were a few times where he got up, having been toppled by Socrates, and he was uh, complaining to Mike Dean, and uh, it was great to see. But I, I loved the bit as well in the. I think it was second half again where there was a foot race, Kane versus Socrates, and Socrates won it easily. He outpaced him. I know Kane isn't necessarily the quickest, but I thought that was that was fantastic too. I really enjoyed the way that he played. Like you, maybe he needs to pick and choose his moments a little bit in terms of um, where he makes the fouls. For the most part, he made the fouls in the right areas, which was high up the pitch which was uh, in their half, and also to prevent them making any headway, to stop breaks and mm. to, to, to cynically break up the momentum uh, that they were trying to build. And we've seen that happen to us so many times. So many teams have done that to us down the years, haven't they? Where, you know, the, the, the cynical fouling, rotational fouling, whatever you want to call it, I like it. I like it because it means that you help nullify the threat of the opposition. It's not particularly uh, Corinthian or anything like that, but fuck that shit. I'd much rather we made a foul in their half and gave away a free kick there than sort of do what we did a, a few games ago. Remember, was it the Palace game where we could have um, made a foul and stopped the ball around halfway and they went on and scored? So make the fouls in the other half of the pitch. And as long as you can get away with it yeah. without a yellow card, keep doing it. And Socrates did that all day yesterday. I enjoyed the bit as well where uh, Lichsteiner was going to celebrate probably the third goal and just fell over on his way. Uh, they were all doing knee slides and he was just running down and went uh, head first, which was quite good. I enjoyed that part. <laughs> but there were some great pictures, yeah. some really great pictures. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm sure there'll be more over the next couple of days. Things will come out, you know, uh, inevitably. But, yeah, there's some great moments. And I must say, uh, Stu, uh, Stu McFarlane, the Arsenal photographer, I saw him celebrating very heartily on the sidelines. So that was oh, yeah. nice to see as well. <laughs> I think he enjoyed it. Oh, yeah, um, sure. Uh, oh, I had a question. Let me just get a question quickly. This is from Dom Fury, who's at Nicky Dom E. Fury on Twitter. Mm. And Dom says, gentlemen, firstly, a very goodly morning to you. Goodly morning. You too, Dom. He says, my question is, how do I tell my beautiful and wonderful wife of 32 years that I'm falling in love with a five foot five man from Uruguay? Thank you, Dominic. Oh, tough conversation. Tough conversation. But, you know, yesterday was uh, uh, Rainbow Laces Day as well. So uh, everyone can love That's whoever true. they like. Everyone can love whoever they like. Uh, you know, he's winning everybody's hearts, isn't he, uh, Torreira? Just the attitude and the, the fact that he brings to the team things which we've lacked. Um, he's... He feels like the missing piece of a jigsaw that we've been doing for years and years and years. 
and all of a sudden it fits. And there's a, not only a sense of gratitude that he's there, but a sense of relief that at last we don't have to scratch this particular uh, itch anymore. Uh, very mixed metaphors there. But, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's really something. I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying watching him and watching him develop and becoming more and more important. Uh, and, you know, there seems to be a unanimity about people's opinion about him. Everyone loves him. Who doesn't love him at this moment in time? So long, long may he continue to impress people the way he is. And uh, I wish Dom and uh, Lucas a very uh, happy life together. May you have uh, <laughs> all the blessings. <laughs> I think credit's got to go to our recruitment team because, look, I didn't know anything about Lucas Torreira. I granted it's not my job, but I don't think these players are easy to find. I think if, you know, if there'd been countless opportunities to sign a Lucas Torreira and we'd let it slip year after year, I think that'd be one thing. But I do just think it's 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 one of the most important positions on the field and it's really, really difficult mm. to find someone with that specific collection of attributes. And we appear to have done it. Uh, and the way in which he's settled, I mean, bear in mind, this is a guy who's come from South America via Serie A. The way in which he's settled into the Premier League and adapted to it and acclimatised has been fantastic. And yet, uh, I keep forgetting that he's still only 22. I mean, yeah. he ought to get better. And that's a, a really exciting prospect. Mm. Momo, who's at Stephen CKC, says, and this is a bit of a sad story, he says, my dog is blind. That's sad. But he says he Very needs sad. he needs reassurances of the colour North London is right now. Can you do the honours for this poor little little gooner? Little dog blind dog gooner. What colour is it, James? Uh, it's very much red. Red. It's very red. What do blind dogs get? Do they get a blind blind dog? Or do they just have a human to help them around? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But yeah. I'd like it if a blind dog had like a smaller seeing dog. A seeing dog? Yeah. Or? I can't tell if this is in bad taste. I feel like I've waded into this and, I, and would, I, I, I've I gone into it and I don't know how I'm going to get out. It, well, would, would it have to be a different animal? Because obviously uh, blind people have guide dogs. So guide dogs or blind dogs could have, I don't know, guide hamsters? Right, yeah. A guide, little guide cat or something. That wouldn't work. There'd be... Chinchillas. Guide chinchillas. relationship. Yeah. A guide chinchilla. Mm. Yeah. Not sure it's going to work. But but North London is very much red uh, today. And let's just hope it's... It's red in May for the duration of uh, next summer. That's that's what it's all about, really. James, it'll it'll always be red. It'll always be red. Come on. You're very right. You're very right. I mean, there's only one team with a, a stadium in North London at the moment. So yeah, for sure. We've got that going for us. Exactly, exactly. Insert your own joke here about helping the homeless at Christmas time, folks. It's what everybody's doing. Yeah. It is what everybody's doing. Um, <laughs> anything else? Have you got another question? Because I'm out, and I think we need to go uh, and get this podcast out to people who are waiting anxiously for it. So let's get it to the people because I can't load any pages on my internet either anymore. So <laughs> the fact that we've managed to get this far is something of a technical miracle. Sure I've just is. had to shout all the way from London and it's picked up on your mic in Dublin. It is. Al Boyd actually on Facebook says, Eric Dyer has a stupid fat head. Discuss. I think you've just summed it oh. all up there, Al. 
no need for a discussion. There's nothing more to say. I mean, he's absolutely right. Yeah. He's absolutely right. Yeah, it is a ridiculous... It's a ridiculous head. A ridiculous head. It is. And we had such fun ridiculing it yesterday. Shush that, you fucking motherfucker. Um, <laughs> right, we're going to go. I'm going to uh, piece together this podcast because there are bits which uh, uh, need to be pieced together. Uh, we'll do a bit of editing. Uh, Man United on Wednesday. We'll discuss that on Friday's Arsecast, so join us for that. Uh, until then, take it easy, folks. Cheers. Bye-bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.